installment of the yummy coco show this is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches music interviews and games i'm your host yummy coco aka colette prosper i'm a comedy writer and filmmaker on this show we talk about everything from britney spears's dad moving to end conservatorship after 13 years uh, to the tragic death of michael kenneth williams I interviewed him years ago for my Huffington Post column uh, just just before The Wire ended. I remember asking him uh, so many questions. Uh, He was from Flatbush, which is where I lived. Uh, And of course, I, I had to ask him about R. Kelly and working on Trapped in the Closet. I don't know if you've ever seen Trapped in the Closet, but that was pretty iconic for its time. So it's like I I had to talk to him about it. But of course, in hindsight, I regret uh, giving uh, R. Kelly any any thought, uh, any kind of fangirling. Um, So it was definitely a long time ago from fangirling about someone's connection to R. Kelly. But anyway, that was my conversation with him. He was the nicest man it's really sad. I loved him in Lovecraft Country. Uh, that ballroom scene with the dancers and Daryl Stevens from Noah's Ark and Mo- Moses Sumney playing in the background. It was just a really beautiful moment. And then there, um, the dancers are all carrying him and there's glitter. It was such a beautiful moment. So incredible. He will be missed. Uh, even the other day at a play date, a mom was talking about how much she loved him as Chalky White on Boardwalk Empire, also filmed in Flatbush, um, also one of my favorite shows, also one of my favorite characters. He was amazing. So uh, rest in peace. He uh, he will um, just forever be a part of uh, television history. Uh, so on this show... Um, This week, we're going to be talking about making TV while black with my guest, Shantira Jackson, who has worked with Amber Ruffin. She's uh, worked on Saved by the Bell Reboot. She's hilarious. She's worked a lot with Busy Phillips on Busy Phillips's late night show and as well as uh, Busy Phillips's podcast. First up, some housekeeping. If you like this show, please rate and review. It's how you can help people to find the show. Let's kick the show off with a sketch called Certified Lover of Busy Town. It's a Dr. Marissa sketch, Dr. Marissa Cephalopod sketch in which Drake Uh, finally comes clean about what city he is really from. Sketch. Hi, my name is Dr. Marissa Cephalopod, and I'm a bird-certified psychologist. And yes, I'm also an octopus who lives at an aquarium in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Join me as I chat with patients 
from all walks of life, including superheroes. These are their stories. Dr. Marissa, your 8 a.m. appointment is here. Drake in the aquarium parking lot, certified lover boy. No time, doctor. My city's on fire and people are in denial. Oh, I know. I heard that in your song, Champagne Poetry. However, I haven't seen it in any of your Instagram captions yet. Fuck the gram. I'm still on a roll like Cottonelle. And still a bit braggadocious, I see. Interesting. What can I do for you? Yeah, well... I have an emotional budget I can't go over. That's why I'm here. Interesting. Are you ready to confess about your real city, Drake? What What are you talking about when you say the city? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm down for you always, Dr. Marissa, but I don't think you're ready for the truth about my city. Yeah, I'm ready. Spill it. I know it's not Toronto. That's like a cleaner Manhattan from what I hear. But I also think it would help you, you know, make some, make a lot of progress on your journey. Well, I, when I was a little lover boy, before I was certified, my uncle gave me this book. Your uncle? Your uncle Larry Graham, the bass player? Okay, all right, I, I, go on. Yeah, yeah, my uncle, he put me on. Anyway, the, the book was wild. It had a pig in a truck, alligators with jackhammers. Everybody was doing something, grinding, to be honest. I never seen some shit like that before. Oh, oh, I, I, I see. You know, when I was a little octopus, there was a book called Richard Scary's Busy Town. Yo, that's it, Busy Town. Yes, that's right. I, I know your secret, Drake. When you talk about your city, it's actually Busy Town. Nah, the, the city's a city, but Busy Town construct in my mind. You feel me? But in my mind, they let me fuck with the fire truck, and they call me Big Chief, too. Oh, uh, I thought they'd call you last name ever, first name greatest. No, that's just my thug passion persona. But what I really am is actually a cross between the fox pilot and an owl named Mr. Read a lot. No one's ready for that busy town vibe. Uh, you see, that city has quite a vibe. You know, I had a crush on Fred the Squid. And there's an octopus in Busy Town too. Yeah, Oliver Octopus. My memory's never faded. So the truth will come out one day, Drake. Everyone will know that your city is actually inspired by Richard Scary's Busy Town. And it's okay. I know it's in your head, but whatever. It's the city. It's okay. It's really okay. Can can people vibe with Busy Town? Of course they can. Champagne Poppy. Oh. Can you call me Big Chief like Busy Town do? Of course, Big Chief. This is why I fuck with you, Dr. Marissa. That's why you're my octopus therapist. And there you have it. Another breakthrough. Join us next time. I'm Dr. Marissa, octopus therapist. back awesome let's get into my chat with comedy writer shantira jackson hey shantira 
Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure. Um, So Shantira Jackson is a writer, actress known for uh, the Saved by the Bell reboot. Uh, She writes on the Amber Ruffin show. Uh, She was also in Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Absolutely hilarious. That was a really wacky movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I want to talk to you about making television, how to get along with people in a writer's room, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life as a Black screenwriter. Ah, yes. Yeah, these are important <laughs> things. So, so, but first, you know, what happened, um, uh, we're, we're taping the show September 2nd. This will air next week. Uh, the Supreme Court gutted Roe recently. Um, you have a line of t-shirts and sweatshirts that say, told y'all. <laughs> and the, t- you know, the line of uh, clothing, it's in response to people being sick of people being uh, uh, quote unquote surprised by how terrible things are in the world. Yeah. So was there ever a moment where you were actually like, you know, you, you know, I've been there, done that, like, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, but was there actually a moment where you were actually genuinely like shocked and surprised by something that happened like in Hollywood or like in the world? I mean, I, I don't think I am surprised anymore, consistently disappointed. The only mm-hmm. thing that I think that I have been surprised with is how stupid everyone is. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I see, I, I saw this tweet once where it was like, uh, I guess that saying avoid it like the plague, uh, <laughs> is it real? And I think that that, um, it has been surprising how real everything is right now and yeah. how many people are just, you know, I, I say stupid, but like also just racist. Uh, I don't think there's stupidity in all of it. I think that they genuinely um, love their white supremacy. Yeah. They like somebody telling them to, to uh, um, believe in science. And uh, I was actually kind of surprised that people would let their children die. I think that that has been a surprise for me. But other than that, I ain't surprised that shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah, no, it's it's very much like uh, preserving whiteness and preserving um, preserving their their top slot. Yeah, whatever that means. But I think for me, it's it's interesting to know that they want to preserve whiteness while killing their children, which is right. like I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess fight the mask mandate at the schools in Florida. So I think that I, I am usually not surprised, but killing your own kids, that one really fucking got me. Yeah, yeah, especially being, <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't make any sense, especially like being, if you're anti-choice, then yeah, like it doesn't about, measure up. It doesn't measure up, but nothing does. So whoop, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of goes into, I told y'all anyway. Oh yeah, still, I mean, like, <laughs> I think the idea that uh, they would do anything for, to uphold white supremacy, for sure, told y'all, but kill their mm-hmm. own children. Uh, honestly, gonna say, I, the pull the okie doke, you know? I really yeah. didn't see that one coming on yeah. my bingo card. It's <laughs> like a M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, yeah. Of, and uh... usually you can see those coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know that he saw dead people. That was, that oh, was, yeah. that, the, that the was first, different. Yeah. That one was, uh, that's what has, it's so interesting that that marked his career as being like, I think it's one of the best 
movies. But oh, yeah. uh, everything else he did is not. <laughs> I know. What, what it's like, yeah, that was like his 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 most amazing shining moment. And then everything afterwards, you know, you're waiting for that like shocking surprise. But that the twist. Fact that- that's how you know it's patriarchy because he still gets to keep trying. It's oh like, yeah, it's a lot of just bombing, my dude. So okay, I know, I know. Like if it was like Nia DaCosta or something, like like you It'd have be like a rap, you don't yeah. need that many shots. Yeah, you, like, you gotta hit it out of the park like immediately. Yeah. Um. So okay. So going back to um the told y'all line. That was uh, created with uh, somebody that was also in your your comedy sketch group called Three Pete and yeah, super funny. The videos are on Comedy Central website. I definitely recommend it. One of the most hilarious shorts is a horror movie like sketch called The Blackening. It's hilarious. Um, it centers on seven black friends who find themselves trapped in a cabin with a killer who promises to only kill the blackest friend. And so they mm-hmm. have to together decide who's the blackest friend. Um, so like you had a, a Black Lives Matter t-shirt and then immediately like switched it like, nah. And then you had to say like, no, no, I believe all, all, all lives matter. It was, it was really funny. Um, I don't know if you could say anything about it, but like, um, last year, uh, I think it was like in deadline, Tracy Oliver, a first wives club and girls trip fame and your friend Dwayne Perkins also in three Pete, um, they sold it. Um, so is there, is there, is that happening? Is there any, can you talk? I know if you can't talk about it, but I mean, it's not my movie, (laughs) but you'd be in it. Um, I don't know if I'd be in it. The beauty of Hollywood is that you making something doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So like, I would love to be in it, but I don't know if I would get to be in it when mm-hmm. it would come out, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so funny. Cause I'm not, um, I'm not like famous. <laughs> I mean, like, as far as like writers go, black queer women, like, uh-huh. I think that like people know who I am, but like, I'm not like Issa Rae. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I think that there's something to um, having a name attached to stuff. So Tracy Oliver is a name attached. Oh, for sure. But um, I don't know what is happening. (laughs) I hope that I get to be in it though when they get there. But shit, who can say? (laughs) Right. It's so funny. It's so funny because I, I mean, I, I, um, I met you at the special screening for Sweet Life, and um, it's uh, Issa Rae executive produced show. It's on um, HBO Max currently. Um, shout out to my bestie Alexis Toronto for inviting me. Yeah. Um, but I saw you, I saw you at the bar and I was like, I know who she is. She's on Billy, busy Phillips is a podcast. I know oh. who she is. Oh my God. I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to her. So yeah, like you're, uh, you're, very, you're, you're a celebrity niche. to me. I'm, I'm very, it's very niche. <laughs> <laughs> it's very niche. I think, uh, I think if you know me, you know me, but like, and it's like there are people where you're like, oh, that's like, I don't even watch their stuff and I know who they are. They're famous. I think I'm yeah. very like writer niche podcast, uh, um, fun white lady niche. <laughs> <laughs> the white ladies like you. Uh, yeah, I think so. Busy. <laughs> I, I do have a hardcore uh, a fan group, I believe, of, of 35 to 45 year old white women because of busy, uh, busy Phillips. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, shout out to busy um also I, I was gonna ask you about um like the because I'm I'm from Brooklyn 
uh-huh. you, you moved here recently from Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, busy, interesting enough, like um, in New York. Uh, coincidentally, yeah, she's in New York. And then she turned um, ordinary canvas bags into sandbags to combat like the flooding in her basement. Uh, it was just like, really I didn't know horrible. she did that though. I know yeah. it was flooding, but uh, yeah, in Brooklyn, I haven't lived in Brooklyn since 2018. Oh, it's been a while. Uh-huh. It's been a minute, but the subway wasn't working when I was there and it wasn't raining. So I knew that it was going to be bad when I saw that water. I was like, oh boy, they can barely keep the New York does not support the MTA in any capacity. Besides yeah, no. Flooding it with police officers. Now it's being flooded with water. Uh... Probably more cops, but um. Yeah, the infrastructure of the subway system is uh, <laughs> not good. Yeah, <laughs> so but this this really one was like his, city. yeah, this was like catastrophic. Um, yeah. So uh, this is uh, there's going to be investigation. In, um, devastating. One uh, one uh, funny moment um, was, uh, and I guess it kind of falls in told y'all is that um, there's a, a viral of this guy, I think in the Bronx, he might be smoking a hookah or weed. Uh, we're not sure, but like he's, he's laying on a floaty. I saw that. Yeah. Between buildings. I mean, probably it's with like rats and shit. So and dangerous. So yeah. Hepatitis I'm from, laden I'm from water. Florida. Yeah. Tallahassee. And, uh, I'm from Tallahassee and there's uh-huh. a lot of, I am a hurricane pro. Mm-hmm. I have lived through a mini, uh, category one two three four five hurricane oh my god um, I I think that like maybe it's like the youth or maybe it's because of social media but like those storms ain't nothing to play with and I think people really think that clicks and videos is worth playing like I have seen like the wind of a hurricane send um uh, uh like hay through a tree wow so like it's so wild like cut like cut through like a like the a wind, knife the wind is so wow. strong you can look it up like wow that the wind is so strong that it could take straw that you would like feed a horse and thread it like a needle through an oak tree oh. so like i think that people need to uh stop playing <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> it's not it's just stop playing man because mother earth is mad so y'all need to it ain't I hope that homie okay but also there's so much stuff in flood water but yo sending that love and light to you brother flood water Mr. Floaty waters ain't nothing to play with I don't yeah no that. yeah yeah electric wires uh rats uh hepatitis it ain't needles. good man it's, it's, it's not just every, it's everything on the New York sidewalk just under oh, you baby oh, it ain't the best getting getting be, yeah, getting I wasn't all, on the float net, but uh, yeah, getting into your your butt crack is pretty everything. So <laughs> good, good luck, bro. <laughs> um. So okay. So going back, you're a Hollywood writer. Like, <laughs> what are the day to day requirements of a Hollywood writer? I mean, what do you mean? Like, like how do you approach the life of being a professional writer? I mean, I don't have any of my own shows, so for the most Part, I approach it by whatever the showrunner tells me to do uh-huh. that day. Um, I mean, working from home, uh, it's been nice. I, I like being in my own space and being able to lay in my own bed at lunch. Uh, That's nice. But I think for the most part, outside of my own projects, I approach it at this is this. I always say this is my gig. It's not my show. 
So mm-hmm. I show up to my gig and tell me what to do and I do it. <laughs> yeah. What's what's your ideal writing condition? Uh my ideal writing condition? You mean like mentally or like All the of environment? It. I mean, I like a quiet space. I have a hard time intaking um other media when I'm trying to create media. So I like don't listen to music or have like the office on in the background. Like I like silence. Yeah. And then my ideal is to be paid. So don't <laughs> ask me to do free stuff. So that's my ideal writing environment. It's quiet with the check on the way. <laughs> nice. That those, uh, that check on the way. That's that's the motivating. That's that's factor. how I like to get down. Yeah, yeah. We all we should all get paid for our work. It's so important. <laughs> but um you know, I want to ask you about like working in a writer's room. Yeah. Um, you already, you're, you're, uh, you, you said the, you know, the white over 35s love you, the white ladies. <laughs> um, but how did you seal the deal with your first writing job? Uh, my first writing job was for 50 Central on BET, mm-hmm. courtesy of uh, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. Uh, <laughs> I got that job by doing a packet. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a packet. Uh, my reps submitted me for it. And then I didn't even have to interview for that job. I just got an offer for that job. And then I moved to New York. That's how I got my first writing job is I, I submitted a packet to, um, to that mm-hmm. show. So you had reps. So you had like an agent and manager before a writing game? Uh, yeah, I had, well, I'm a, I got them through performing. So like I was performing Chicago for like 10 years and like nobody wanted to rep me. I auditioned for every um, like, every uh agency like in Chicago and they all said no some people actually said no more than once for improv uh just for being repped like um but like you were performing doing improv I was doing improv I was doing sketch Mm -hmm. um and then you know when you audition for those agencies you have to like do like a monologue and all that kind of shit Mm -hmm. so like I was performing auditioning for these um agencies and nobody wanted me they were like nah we don't fuck with you so then I was working for Second City on the resident stage they have Mm -hmm. um equity theater there which was what I moved to Chicago to do I was doing eight shows a week and um so equity theater I'm sorry is is like uh like on Broadway like um yeah Broadway is equity theater but like if you go to like a playhouse like um Chicago like Steppenwolf and Goodman Theater Mm -hmm. um if you have like when um wherever the uh wherever whenever a Broadway show comes to your city and that theater is where they perform that it's usually an equity theater so I was at an equity theater we did like Broadway schedule we did eight shows a week okay Mm -hmm. and um I was performing and uh I learned really early especially doing improv and sketch in Chicago that there just like weren't very many POC especially very many black people and no one was writing for me Mm -hmm. uh like no one. I would show up to class and uh, class of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 people. Yeah. And uh, we all have sketches and I wouldn't be in anyone's sketches. Like no one wrote for me. And my um, my teacher pulled me aside and was like, hey, I think you're really funny. I think you have a really great voice. But if you want to be in this show, you're going to have to write for yourself. I can't. These people are paying money and I can't make them put you in their sketch. Yeah. And I was like, bet. And then I just started writing for myself and then all my shit got in. And then I was like, you know what? I should keep doing this because I want to work and I want to be the most funny person in the sketch. So I'm going to write my own stuff. Uh, and so those same people that weren't including you, and it wasn't because um, you're not like a likable person. It was just because they, they couldn't see you 
in those roles. I don't think they roles. thought about me. I think that people yeah. don't think about Black women in general. So right. when they sat down to write and they got excited, they thought about whiteness. So right. like, what are you going to do? So um, I... But, but did they yeah. want to, did they expect to be in your sketches? I mean, they were, it was a group class. So like people were in sketches. It's just like, at the end of the day, it wouldn't be me. So yeah. they'd be like, we need six people in this sketch and the six people they chose. And then at the end of the day, it would have been like, everybody put up two or three sketches and they picked up their people from the class. And I just was never a person for any of those wow. things. Uh-huh. So I was like, dang, I guess I got to, because in my head, I sat down and I'd be like, oh, I have like three sketches and I'm going to diddy it up. And then I'm going to put, this so everybody in the class will be in one of my sketches but like nobody thought like that or at least they don't nobody thought like that about me so mm-hmm. um by the time I this was fast forward like five or six years uh I got main stage and I wrote something for myself it was a solo piece and my director supported that solo piece and I did mm-hmm. it and, and that's um, that's huge yeah uh yeah it's it was really cool uh, at second city you create a um an hour and a half sketch review from scratch and you uh-huh. we do something called process where we come in with the pitches our directors uh tell us whether or not they like it or not and we put it up that night and then uh we get feedback day of and then if it does well we'll keep performing it until we perfect it and i did a piece a solo piece uh, my director really liked it we put it in the show it opened and uh uh, ICM, who those are my reps, and then my manager. Uh, ha- my manager was also based in Chicago. Had mm-hmm. seen three P, really liked me. And the the cool thing is, I didn't have to audition for my agents or my manager. They came to me. They were like, "We saw your solo work. We saw the shit that you're writing for yourself." And like, oh, that's awesome. Rep you. So like, it worked out great because the people that I got to work with, like, really cool people who believed in me. And like, it, they came to me. I had spent like 10 years trying to get somebody to think I was good enough. Yeah. And the phone, one of the biggest fucking agencies in the world came yeah. to see me do one show. And I was like, they get it. And I was like, well, you know what? I'll take that. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, you're, you're searching, you're wanting validation and, and then you I gave have up to on take, it. you gave up, <laughs> you have to take matters into your own hands. And then I and, got ripped. Yeah. So that was, it was really cool. But yeah, that's how I got rep is as a performer. Uh, and then they asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, I want to be a performer. I, I was like, I want to write on TV, write for TV or be on TV. And if that's something you can help me do, then like, let's go. And they were like, we can get your packets right now. Like, <laughs> I can't get you on TV today, but I could get you a packet now. And they started sending me packets. And then like six months later, I, I got a job. What's a packet for those that doesn't that don't know? A packet uh, is basically like a um, it's a submission to a show to show them that you can write in the style of the show. So like, like a late night show, a late night show specifically so, or a sketch show. So like SNL, if you want to write for SNL, they would be like, hey, send us six sketches and, uh, and, and make sure the cast is in uh, your sketches. Or they'd be like, hey, do you want to write for a weekend update? Send us 50 weekend update jokes. And the same thing goes with um, other late night shows. So if you do Colbert, they might ask you to do some desk bits. If you do James Corden, they might ask you to do something like the equivalent to carpool karaoke, where they like, give us something that can go viral. Yeah. You just do that in the voice of the, um, the host. So I did, a, I did a sketch packet because 50 Central was a variety show. Yeah. Um, was 50 Cent in it doing sketches? Sometimes, but he's mainly a <laughs> producer. Uh, 
I think that BET really wanted him on the show because he was very insistent about getting people, no-named people, like people who weren't famous. Uh-huh. So they wanted names. So there was like a lot of guest stars. So there was like a new music video every That's where most of our fucking budget went, to be honest. Oh my God. A new music video every week from artists. And like, he was really big on like trying to give people a platform. And uh-huh. the, show got, the show got canceled, but I appreciate the heart of the show. The show was just like, these are people who are young, who I think are funny. And I want, I, it was basically like, kind of like living color, like a bunch of people that nobody really knew and the hopes that this could be a springboard for them. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, it sounds really cool. And, and yeah, there hasn't been a show like in living color or mad TV Mm-mm. since then. It's a long time. So yeah. So um, it's definitely, we're definitely in need of that. Um, but like, how does one give good writers room? So like, you know, I, I was told that like in a, in, you, in a writer's room, you have to be well-liked, um, that like you have to be, um, you're, you're everyone's friend, but you're, you're, all, you're also like super professional at the same time. Um, there's no onboarding. So there's a very like sink or swim aspect yeah. to it. So like, what's your advice for like a newbie like me starting out wanting to work in a writer's room? I think marginalized people have to be well-liked. I think white people don't. So um, I'll say that. Well. <laughs> And honestly, the only person who has to like you is the showrunner. Yeah. So like, that's the truth. Now, nobody got to like you. But if the person in charge of the room wants you in the room, then you get to be in the room. I've been in a room with people who fucking suck. But the person whose name's on the show, that's their best friend. And then that's the room. So like, you ain't got to be likable. But it helps, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) But I found that POC marginalized people, like, you don't get to be like gay and and Puerto Rican and assholes like you don't get to be in a room but if you're like straight cis 45 old white dude you're a piece of shit you can keep your job so like <laughs> let's get that straight oh no because <laughs> I'm very awkward I'm very shy um I say awkward jokes sometimes um I mean that's cool I mean like you just have to be I think that uh to be good in a room for the most part is to be most authentically yourself. I try to make sure that you know exactly who I am when I do an interview. Mm-hmm. Like I like to swear. I like yeah. I'm not afraid of my bosses. And then like, if I think that, the, and I also think that people, you're also interviewing the showrunner. Like if you're in here and you're like, yo, like this is not, I don't like this. Like, I know it's really hard to turn things down and like everyone's not in a position for that but like you're also interviewing them you're interviewing the space you're interviewing the vibe you're interviewing everything so it's like kind of reciprocal I personally believe that but um yeah when they uh, are interviewing I, I try to be truly like who I am because like the hope is that the show that you're working on I think initially is that you're gonna get like six seasons in a movie yeah right like I'm sure that the people who interviewed for Modern Family season one didn't know it was going to be on for 10 years. You know what I mean? Right. And I think at one point the showrunners didn't get along. And so they had two separate uh, rooms at one point. And I mean, like, that's some, that's a, that, that just goes to show you could be an asshole and keep your job. But yeah. like, I think about like, do you want to pretend to be somebody for 10 years? So like, just make sure you are comfortable with who you are when you go into that interview setting so that when you get into the room, it's like no surprises when it's like, oh my gosh, I told them I really liked all this stuff. And I, I, I talked like this and now this show has been renewed for four seasons and I'm just like acting like a different person at work all the time. So I, I just really try to be myself in the interview 
because like I said, like, unless you're like a predator and really fucked up, the, the people interviewing you are the reason you, that you get to still keep your job. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> they, they chose you. They, they chose, chose you. you, your personality, uh, yeah, everything about you. Yeah. Uh-huh. But like, if, that's why I say, like, if the showrunner like you, it's like, I mean, everybody okay. in the room, everyone in the room, it's, it's good to like make friends, but like, you don't want to like be like some fake weirdo for the person who's the boss. And then you get there and they're going to be like, I did not hire this person. 13 weeks, this is a wrap. So that's what I I think that that's the main thing is just being yourself. And if they like you, then you get to be yourself in the room. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is there, is there anything right now currently? Cause like in a lot of writers rooms, um, like right now you're working virtually. Um, is there, is there anything about the way that writers rooms are running currently um, or, or how the inner, the TV industry has changed in a way um, during the pandemic um, that you hope continues after Corona? I think, uh, I think uh, uh, remote work is awesome. I personally like it. A lot of people don't like it. I, I think that you should have to be in the room five days a week to make television. I think Zoom work also uh, cut down on being at work from like 9.30 to 10 o'clock at night because like you just can't be on Zoom that long. Yeah. You just can't do it. And I think it just goes to show that you could make great television without doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sorry if you like don't like your fucking kids or you don't like your fucking wife or whatever. That's like not my problem. Mm-hmm. But I think re- remote work is really good in that way. I think we're all very productive. It also gives people the opportunity to live where they want to live. Like there's like four people in my uh, in my current room mm-hmm. who live in Brooklyn. Nice. And that's where they want to live. Yeah. And it's like it sucks that like you get a job and you have to move three thousand miles just to be in a city. Mm-hmm. to do something that obviously can be done from anywhere. I think it also opens the opportunity for people who can't afford to live in the, the top five major cities in, Amer- in America. Like if you are in like your small town with your parents, you can write for a TV show. And I think that that is like really, really good for like not for, for getting people jobs that aren't rooted in nepotism. Right. Nice. But like, also, I feel like, um, but, but to, I don't know, be devil's advocate, I guess, is that like you, the, somebody has to be in LA to get the job or, or in New York or like how you were in Chicago, which is like a major comedy hub. It used to be it, but I don't think you have to anymore. I mean, cause I also got my reps from being a performer. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get their reps by doing like Austin Film Fest and Sundance Labs and that kind of stuff. So I think that before you had to be like, I'm moving to LA and then you'll give me a writing job. But what you moving to LA for today? <laughs> just, stay, just stay in Boise. Yeah, just stay in fucking Boise and get your job <laughs> if the talent's enough. And I think that that has also been a thing where it's like, well, this person's in LA and this person's in Boise. I like this Boise script, <laughs> but I want the person in LA. But like, that's not the case right now. So I think that... Um, I think that it's been really cool. And like, obviously I don't know if they'll keep, uh, keep it up, but I do know that like, um, there are rooms where like people aren't in, in the room every day. So mm-hmm. if you're in the room only two or three times a week, like why you got to move to LA to do that? I think yeah. that remote work is going to be a lot more, especially for people who are higher up. Mm-hmm. So like, we've been talking a lot about staffs, but them EPs ain't leaving their cribs in fucking Calabasas. <laughs> they want to stay home and they, and they mansions and enjoy them. So like, 
if the rich people want to don't want to come to work, we won't be at work. So, so are they calling in like Charlie's Angel style, like on the intercom, and what? and like, or do they call in like, oh, oh, you know, to 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 see what's going, like the exact, like a like a higher up, like what is going I mean, on today, group? No, like, do they come into I mean, the Zoom meeting? Not or? in the, not in my rooms. Like uh-huh. that EP, that's EP business. That's not my business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you create a show, you got to have those meetings and all that kind of stuff. So, like. If they come, if they don't come to the writers' room and then uh-huh. what, like sit, they come to notes meetings and you got to meet with your network and all that kind of stuff. But that's creator EP thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar a week shit right there. I'm not <laughs> there yet, so I don't know what they be doing. <laughs> oh my goodness, I didn't know about this. Like kind of like a, like like a it was almost like the like the big people table and like the little. I always people. call them the grown ups. Yeah, yeah, grown folks, grown folks. Yeah, that's yeah. the EP show creators. <laughs> At the end of it, you always see the little like bad robot. You know that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, like whoever owned that production company, JJ Abrams. Who, that's who having them meetings. Not me. <laughs> so okay. Um, so so that's like that's like another door to walk through or something that's that's like i mean that ain't how do you how do you get to the grown folks room that ain't no glass ceiling that's a brick fucking ceiling oh that's a brick made of bricks lots of them tons and tons of bricks yes glass ceiling you can't even see the top and all the ones that's up there is tyler perry or work at Issa ray show like Uh It's not that many POC there when I say that. It's a bunch of white people. And that's been the problem. It's been like a lot of talk about diversity is people coming in on the bottom. But like what you need in order to get your shows made is for powerful people to advocate for you. And the most powerful people advocate for things that they relate to. They're all white. Yeah. So like if I make a black ass show, what's some old white dude want to do? I have a friend who was, was trying to get their show made and they wanted a black showrunner mm-hmm. they were all busy because but but they they were all busy meaning that like Anyone because they, they're they're thinking of like a certain group of people like apprentice penny or um, you know someone it's not else even like a certain group of people Princess penny has the experience that a network will approve to yeah. be the show you need people with experience. In order to get experience, you have to have opportunity. Who has right. opportunity? All the showrunners is white. So like, if you're like, I need a black one. They're like, okay, cool. Well, there's four, the four are booked. Right. <laughs> but then, but that just means that there should be, there should be other people that are brought up that like the brick wall opens and, yeah. you know, someone, other people step forward. Yeah. The emphasis on the word should. Yes. <laughs> Is it? I don't know. Hopefully I get to be there. But I mean, that has to be in order to get there. People have to take a chance on you. Like Lena Dunham literally was like, here's a promise note. And they were like, you could be the hair writer of your show. They're not doing that for queer, like young queer POC. They're not taking those risks. And like, if we fail, they give up on us. And white people fail, they don't. They go, that was bad, but let's let them do it again. So Mm -hmm. like, you have it for blind support it's not really given to marginalized groups and that's how you get promoted if somebody goes you've never had this job but I'm going to give it to you it's kind of like how a lot of people even not even in the industry like people apply for jobs on like 
uh, um, LinkedIn and they'll be like, we need five years experience for entry-level job. Yeah, right, right, right. I just saw this um, thing, I think it was the Washington Post and it was like, we have summer internships for journalism internships. And it was juniors, seniors and, and grad students. And they were like, in order to get this internship, you have to have experience in a major newsroom. And that's but, a, it's a for a free job. It's for a free a job. And it's like, student. what junior? So if you're a junior, when I was a junior, that means I was what, 19? I graduated yeah. when I was 17. Mm-hmm. What 19 year old that you know has experience in a major newsroom whose daddy's name isn't on that newsroom? Yeah. Like, or mommy's. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's like very, it's hard to get a job you ain't never got when don't nobody give those jobs to people who've never done them. Yeah. I mean, it, it, when you were talking, it was also reminding me of when you were talking about um, not being written into sketches and how those writers just weren't necessarily thinking about you because they mm-hmm. were thinking in terms of like, you know, what it of whiteness in terms of like, whatever, whatever was in their, in, in their, in their thoughts. Yeah. And it's, it, it's the same for higher ups. Like if mm-hmm. you're not, if you're surrounded by whiteness, if you are, if you just want to see yourself in the world, then mm-hmm. that's, that's what you're going to see. And it's, it's very rare. That's why it's so special. Like, like insecure is so special. Yeah. Isa is so special is because, you know, she was able to somehow crack the code, like the matrix or something. I, I also think in. that HBO yeah. takes a lot more shots on um, non-traditional white shows. Yeah. Like, I think that HBO is known for that, for just like doing, and not just non-traditional shows that don't feature whiteness, non-traditional shows that feature whiteness, like weird white people make shows for HBO. So then like the next step that they're a really fucking weird white person is just like a regular black person. Like that's who gets <laughs> to do it. You know what I mean? We yeah. haven't got to super weird black person yet on HBO. Well, there was that, <laughs> that acts of random acts of flyness. That got that, that got weird. It was it's sort of sketch. Uh, the one of the um, the writers for Betty, I think, worked on on that oh. show. But and I love Betty. I thought I thought Betty was a really good show. But like, um, but yeah, no, I know I know what you mean. Yeah. So like, yeah. I think that like there has to be networks. I think FX does it like with mm-hmm. Atlanta. I think yeah, cable does it really well. Cable's not afraid, but basic network TV, nah, fam. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, so like when you're writing, like when I'm writing pilots, I I'm thinking cable. Like I I don't even have act breaks in my. It was actually um Chelsea Devantes that told Mm -hmm. me she's like just take out the act breaks in your in your um pilots. And I was like, oh, I could do that because I I was thinking of like you know a book. I could do anything. (laughs) I didn't know. And uh, but yeah, it's it's true. It's just that like um. It, it, it was like I was so uh, thinking about like like I don't know save the cat like the the books yeah. you read and and that you know act one act two act three but like yeah in a cabler you you don't you don't yeah. need the act breaks um, but is that is that who you you're thinking in or when you're writing a pilot is your own work is yeah. that where you're thinking you're you're not even thinking network like like Kenya Barris you know with like abc i mean like i have i i have stuff like that i have mm-hmm. like what i call like my white people pilot i have my i have my cbs pilot i have mm-hmm. my my ride or die the thing i want to get made pilot and i think that like when you, it's just like submitting like you submit your you change your cover letter 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm capable of doing a lot, but like, I'm not going to give the same writing sample to like Big Mouth, mm-hmm. you know, as I might give to if I was trying to work on the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that people could like, obviously we contain multitudes, but like, obviously like the script is good, but you're usually trying to write in the style of the show that you're trying to get a job for. Uh-huh. So like, I have multiple pilots so that when my agents go out, they know what to give to, in hopes that like I get that job. So it's almost like uh, when, when like in New York, like, you know, somebody selling like when they, you know, somebody on the street, like selling like different, different things. Oh, I got oh, comic yeah, books, like, I got like, jewelry. Yeah, so that's you like everything. you, like I got a, I got a late night, I got a, you know, I got a pilot, a 30 minute yeah. pilot. Um, I got so, a 30 minute pilot. I got a, um, I got like a dirty pilot. I got a clean pilot. I got like a weird fucking, like some weird shit. And I think that, but also it's like you have all of those jobs I'd be willing to take. Yeah. Like, um, I love Amber Ruffin, but like, I don't, I don't do late night for white people. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> I love like, Amber Ruffin show. Thank you. It's my so son, fun. my son who is eight years old loves mm-hmm. Amber Ruffin show too. Amber's uh really good for all ages. She really yeah, knows how hilarious. The whole scope. Yes. Uh, but like, yeah, I think that just like know what job you want. And obviously you can have, I mean, like you, I obviously have had scripts for jobs I didn't want because I wanted a job. Right. But I've been doing this for like just long enough that I could specifically be like, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like that's been, I've been really fortunate and I'm grateful for that. But like, yeah, you just have the pilot for the job you want. Uh, the job you're trying to get at least so for a black screenwriter like you a comedy writer like me so I you know I have like you know cable kind of Mm -hmm. um, content should I also diversify Um, if you want I mean like do you want a job yeah (laughs) I want a job if you want a job then write a script (laughs) for the job you want and it's like I think that it's like the hardest thing is getting a job Yes, you can get a job. You can get another one. The first one is like the fucking hardest, and it's like I heard the second one too. The second one, I think the first one's the hardest because you usually wait like 10, 15 years to get the first one, and then you might. I I didn't work for almost a year after Fifty Central, and -hmm. then like some people never get another job, and that really sucks. You know what I mean? But like, it's it's not even the second one; it's the next one. The next job is always the hardest yeah so like that's it's hard to find work and even if you have been on a show for years that they can still fire you like nothing's promised to you there's people who have created shows and been fired off their own shit you know what i mean Uh so like okay unless you miss the cbs like (laughs) you ain't promised nothing yeah uh and even then you ain't look at les moves he was fucking mr cbs and his ass got got too you know what i mean yeah finally but that took years that took decades it took decades but it it came and sometimes it takes years it takes decades to get your first gig so um if you are like i could i could absolutely write for um, a CBS procedural. I could absolutely write for an animated show. I could absolutely write for um, a CW uh, teen sexy vampire drama, then write the script for it and submit to it. But like, if you're like, I don't wanna do that, I don't like that, then don't. But like, if you're trying to get a job, I think you should probably have more than one script and more than one sample and more than one style. 
Yeah, I have a few. For me, I I I write a lot about. Um, I mean, I, I try to write about all sorts of people, but I do. Um, I I have more about like Haitian people, people from mm-hmm. Haiti living yeah. living in America. Yeah, that write, kind of stuff. I mean, like you write what you know and like write what you enjoy. I always say like, don't write something you don't want to get a job for. Mm-hmm. And it sounds crazy, and like it might even be like. But I want any job. So like, I don't know, like if you write a script and you hate it and you get a job, that means you might get known for that. And then you're going to be stuck doing that. So That's miserable. It is miserable. So like to me, some people don't give a fuck. So like, honestly, this is specifically what I'm saying. That would be miserable to me. But some people like misery is fine. Right. <laughs> if they get the check and they get the clout and they get the, say they work for TV. So like everybody different. But for me, misery, it ain't it. That ain't yeah. it for me. Yeah. I I mean, to be a writer, like you can't be a mercenary. You, you have to, you have to love it or else, um, why, why bother? You can do something else for money. I mean, I don't know if you got to love it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But if you like to tell stories, you'll want to make people laugh. You want to get people thinking Amber Ruffin, like your, the show has a really great way of, um, making people crack up, but then also think about, um shit that's happening in the world she's just like a genius i love her but i I don't think you have to love writing i don't think people like always love being like working at i worked retail for a long time i just fucking love it this is a good job (laughs) (laughs) sorry it paid paid your it got you food it got you rent yeah and i think that i don't want to work i mean like i love writing but if somebody was like i'll give you a million dollars and never gotta do shit ever again i'd be like that like the i I think that this is a really lucrative career i I really do i'm a storyteller so i do enjoy being a writer i love that i get to do this for a living yeah but like one of the things that makes this so cool is that like you get paid a lot of money if people got paid 15 dollars an hour they wouldn't be fucking packing up their minivan (laughs) moving to la Talk about, I want to write for TV. There's a reason that people sacrifice so much because the hope is that it really pays off for your sacrifice. Oh yeah, yeah, for so, sure. So like, if this did not pay this much money, people would not be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. You're just going to have some like old man berate you, treat you like shit, make you cry and go home with uh, nothing. People put up with that assistant bullshit so that one day they get a writer's job and mm-hmm. it makes it all worth it. So like, I think that there's also, people just need to be honest that this is a job mm-hmm. and you are doing, you are selling your labor and this, this particular job, it pays, your labor's paid for uh, with a very, very reasonable amount of money. Right. It's good money. But, but, and a part of it also is that you're selling yourself, you're selling. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're, you're putting your brand, you're putting yourself out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's something very like vulnerable about that, about, and, and, uh, and then there's something about like, you know, you know, not being accepted. It, I don't know. Yeah. How do, how do you, how do you keep your, how do you keep hope alive? Thinking about Jesse Jackson, uh, how yeah. do you keep hope alive? And then, uh, you know, do you have things like a text thread that like helps you get through the day? I mean, I think for me, it's interesting because like, I, I, I think this is just like my job. And mm-hmm. I think that people put a lot of ownness into what they do in correspondence to who they are, mm-hmm. right? And I am Shantira Jackson and I 
am a writer, but like I write, like I could do something else. And I think that people in this industry really associate their self-worth with their jobs. Mm -hmm. People do it all over the place, but especially in the entertainment industry. Oh my God, they got that writing gig. Oh my God, they got that network gig. Oh my God, they got that movie. And so much of who they are and how much they love themselves is, is based over the jobs that other people give them. So like, I think that for hope for me, like I have hope that the world will be better, but like, I, I think that I'm supposed to be in the entertainment industry. I really think I have a gift for it. I think that this is my calling, what my soul is on this planet, this earth to do. Like, this is my vibe. This is my thing. Yeah. But like a lot of people think that and they don't get their, they don't get no jobs. Right. <laughs> So like, I think the hope for me is to always know that I am a worthy person outside of what I do. Mm-hmm. And as long as you remember that, you, you can keep living this life in this industry where you could be the most talented person in the world and just like look like somebody ex-girlfriend and not get a job. So, oh, uh, which, yeah, and you wouldn't know that. And you wouldn't know that, yeah. you know? I mean, like, I think that this is one of the things about expectation. And it's just that recognizing that you have worth outside of this industry. And if you don't get a job, it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad writer or a bad actor or a bad composer. It's just like you didn't get the thing. And that's just how this industry works. And so much money is in it a lot of people are trying to get the job. Yes. And it's just like, you might not get it just because like you didn't get the same internship or you weren't in the coffee shop or your uncle met a guy. So there's like, this is like one of the only industries where you could be the best. Mm-hmm. You just don't get it. So I think hope for me comes in knowing that like, I still have a life, a good one outside yeah. of this thing that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and having faith in yourself and in your talents and that, yeah. and that you know, something else will, will materialize. I also like have no ego. I worked at Apple for three years. I worked at Banana Republic <laughs> for three years. I'll go back and work at Apple. I think that like we live in like a capitalist society. Ah. But like knowing that like I have wonderful friends and I have a wonderful partner. I have a life that I've built. I have a, okay, savings. Like I know that if, Today, they were like, you can't never work in this industry again. I'd be like, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess I'll go do something else. I like baking. Maybe I'll go to culinary school. My dad's a, a master carpenter. I, I could go back home and probably work with him for a little while and uh-huh. up my craft. Like, I like doing things with my hands, you know? I, I'll just go do something else I like. I, I mean, I love that because it, it feels so freeing, like the, what you're saying. It feels like it, it, it's, you don't have to take this shit so seriously. Well, yeah. And I also it's think it's a job it's at the end of the day. But it's also easy for me to say that because I got a job. So I yeah. think that that's the thing, too, is that like I could hear somebody now being like, yeah, I should fucking say that she already worked. It's true. Like <laughs> it's really hard to tell somebody not to worry about it if you ain't got to worry about it. Right. So like, everybody will get there when they get there but that's where I'm at (laughs) yes what's the best writing advice you've received um and what's the worst uh honestly it came from the same person uh both of them so the best writing advice I ever received is that um everybody wants to be a writer and nobody wants to write that is the best writing advice I've ever received because realizing that people want the clout, people want to say they work places. The status. 
people do not want to write. There are so many people, and it's so funny that people who write all the time will be like, oh, I want to be a writer. And people who ain't wrote not nan fucking thing will be like, I'm a writer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. And one of the things I really learned that from was taking classes because I, I have a journalism background. I don't have a screenwriting background. So, yeah, me too. So like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I took like a, a SNL class at mm-hmm. IO Improv Olympic. And the teacher was like, um, okay, like we watched the episode of SNL and they were like, okay, so I want you to uh, write like, 25 monologue jokes by next week mm-hmm. and the class started with 12 people and then the next week it was nine people and then the next week he was like all right I want you to write a um a uh, um a host monologue for a host that has actually been on this season and a host that you would wish was on this season so two five minute pieces right mm-hmm. great next week seven people in the class wow just dwindling Every time somebody had to do some writing, they stopped showing up to class. Yeah. So I think that the best advice I've ever gotten is that like, if you want to be a thing, you should be doing it. You should be writing. You should be (laughs) early studying how to be a writer. If you want to, if you want to make movies, like figure that out and do it. But like, I found that a lot of people want to be insert a thing, but they do not want to do insert the thing. So that's the best writing advice I've gotten. The worst writing advice I ever got was write every day. You ain't got to do that. If you want to, <laughs> fine. I but that's don't. part of being a writer, though. No, no. I mean, if it's part of being a writer for you, sure. It's not part of being a writer for me. I have a degree in journalism. I wrote all the time. I've written 20, 30, 40 page papers. I'm a great writer. It mm. don't go away because <laughs> I don't write every day. Uh-huh. I don't want to write every day. It upsets me to think, I, I enjoy writing, but like, it's not a thing that I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write. And there are some people who are like that. One of my mentors used to get up every day, seven in the morning, a cup of coffee, fucking sit down and write. That was his mm-hmm. thing. He loved it. Yeah. That ain't my thing. I like to get up. I like to work out. I like to have breakfast. I like to do <laughs> scroll Twitter. I like to read a book. I do not write every day, but I will sit down and write a pilot in two days and it'll be good. Oh, that's great. So like, do what works for you. But like, if it don't work for you, don't do it. I don't think you have to write every day to be a good writer. That's on me. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I when I get into, I I try to write every day. Um, but if there, if I and if I get into a mode where I'm like on Instagram or Twitter, and then I'm like, oh, I I beat myself up. I'm like, oh man, I'm not I'm not doing I'm not doing the thing that I should be doing. But yeah, yeah I, I think that we make ourselves feel bad, and it's like. Like I said, if you want to pay me to do something, I'll write. I'll write every day if you pay me. <laughs> I only have a finite amount of time to be awake, not working, and alive. So <laughs> I don't want to do that every day. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> that's that's the be- that's really good advice. This life is short. Enjoy it. Yeah, I, I don't want to do that every day. I mean, I think about like uh, what's his fucking name? Uh, God, what's that actor's name? He played. Abraham Lincoln. Either way, Daniel Day Lewis. He do a movie like every eight years. Shade yeah. drop an album every ten years. <laughs> you gonna tell me Shade can't sing because she don't fucking sing every day? They're enjoying a coffee in the morning, some Twitter. I think that they're you living their life. Everything on your own timeline, right? So like, <laughs> you're not gonna tell me he's not a good actor because he don't want to do a movie every year. So I don't know why writers be saying that shit. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Okay, so this is, can we play a quick game before I let you go? Sure. 
So the game is, um, let's do, cause like told y'all in the spirit of, of your, your sweatshirt t-shirt line oh, yeah. um, with your friend, Lisa, um, let's play. I told y'all, so I'm going to say five things that might've happened this month. Uh-huh. Um, you say told y'all that happened or told y'all that was false. Mm-hmm. So there are no winners. The world is still terrible. Uh, told y'all, uh, yeah. so, okay. Number one. Milk crate challenge is a satanic ritual. Oh, uh, I told y'all that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so that was false. No, it just feels like it would. <laughs> well, it's interesting because there's no evidence that the milk crate challenge is part of a satanic ritual. Um, but people are saying it, 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 it is because it involves a triangle shape. Oh, and- yeah. I just said it because it's just like, a bunch of white people doing it. <laughs> I, I see black people doing it. Yeah, but like mm, it started with us, and then I oh was no, like, it got mm, co-opted. It got co-opted, and now it's like it ain't fun no more. It was, I mean, I wouldn't do it. It's, the hospital's full, y'all. Don't be falling breaking <laughs> shit. Yeah, especially like, and but you have to go really fast if you're on those milk crates. Like you can't just stop. People are nah. stopping at the top. Well, because oh, trying to boy, go down. He first started it, stop. Yeah, trying to do what he's doing, but I saw a bunch of pictures of people falling, busting their ass. I didn't watch the video. I don't have the stomach for that. <laughs> people falling, hurting themselves, but I saw some stills. Yes. Um, but but anyway, if if it was true that like triangle shapes um were satanic, then like the food pyramid and pizza slices would be. I satanic, mean, I grew up not. in the Baptist church, but I tell you what, Satan hadn't did nothing as bad as these evangelicals been doing. So I, I these oh, days, I mm-hmm. fuck with him because at least he like I don't know these he evangelicals. He keeping it real. They keep lying, acting like they're doing stuff in the name of the Lord. I'm like, I don't know, man. Yeah, uh, the, the Church of Satan have been doing some really good abortion work. <laughs> They've been like talking to no, really, I'm for real. Like the Church yeah. of Satan has been like, hey, like <laughs> telling people they can't have abortions against our religion and trying to save our democracy. So like, take that with a grain of salt. Wow, wow. So yeah, maybe the Church of Satan's not not so bad. I mean, these days can't be no worse than what's going on with the people fucking with Jesus. That's right. Okay, so next one. Disgraced former New York governor Andrew Cuomo left his dog Captain behind when he moved out of the governor's house in mid-August and asked if any staff members could just keep him. Oh. I, I, because that, because what's his face? So Ted Cruz did that. So uh, he left a dog. He left the dog in Texas. In oh, when house. he went when he went to Cancun. When he went to Cancun. So like I would say, like, I told y'all it could happen. I don't know if he did it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's mixed. It's a mixed answer because the dog was left there temporarily while the mm-hmm. governor was on vacation, like Ted Cruz going to Cancun. Um, but then the dog was picked up on the 23rd of August by its trainer, not by Cuomo. So we don't know. Oh, um, wait, how long was he in the house for? Um, I think he was in the house, like his governor Cuomo left some time, sometime like mid August. So, so then like by the end, like till 23rd of, of August, a trainer came and picked him up. So, oh, that's that, weird. Yeah. It's kind of weird. So I don't know. Honestly, if, I feel like he would have gotten, um, 
after his eye for that before the sexual <laughs> assault stuff because they love dogs more than they love women so I'm wow wow yeah especially like yeah abandoning your your dog it's named captain that's that's messed up um okay so the next one is uh joe rogan reveals that he tested positive for covid and oh. you iver ivermectin the horse oh dog that would happen <laughs> it totally happened yeah he, he used the horse deworming and he probably um, gonna live too because this all them kind of shitty people that always get the best medical care that's yeah. worth like 200 million dollars he's not finna fucking die everybody i want to die is not dying so. i know what are we gonna do because they got the best insurance usually paid by our <laughs> tax dollars look at that you mcconnell oh oh my god turtle um Okay, so the next one is Elaine Welterot leaves the talk after one very controversial oh, year with Sharon Osbourne saying, teach me about racism. Told y'all, told y'all yeah. that was gonna happen. Told yeah. y'all that was gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, you don't even need Sharon Osbourne for that. I think that I really liked her as the editor of Vogue and I understand her and trying to expand her shit. Right. But I, I really liked the journalism. I liked what she was doing in that area. So like, I could have told y'all going to a daytime TV fucking be shit yes it's a it's a dirty business it's dirty as hell dirty as hell (laughs) okay um so peppa pig's album peppa adventure scores a higher rating than kanye in pitchfork and then they dunk on him in a tweet about his mercedes-benz listening party oh i mean that feels right (laughs) told y'all it's gonna happen them tiktok kids do all kinds of stuff so like, also they fuck with Peppa Pig, you know, like the backyard again. I don't know if you yeah. be on TikTok. That's song yeah. like number one. It's like, really good. It's really good. So They're like, good singers. I, them little Gen Z be on it. So I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> All right. So the next one, uh, fat phobic. Wait, did that actually happen? Was that real? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Told y'all that was gonna happen. Peppa Pig scored big with uh, a six point five on Pitchfork, while Kanye got just a six. Yeah, I haven't listened sense. to it yet. I don't listen to him no more. So yeah, I'm, I'm whatever. Done. Especially since that Trump shit, I don't give a fuck about him. Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't. I don't. I don't fuck with with uh, Kanye either. Yeah, no. Um, okay, next one. Fat phobic sweet green CEO takes down LinkedIn post that linked obesity to COVID deaths and suggested outlying junk food. I told y'all that was going to happen. <laughs> yes. So yeah. that totally happened in his now deleted LinkedIn post. Like, oh, snore. Like, who's on LinkedIn? I love um, people for him to take it down. Oh, you have a bunny? I see a bunny in the oh, background. Oh, yeah, I have a bunny. Oh, what's your bunny's name? Her name's Juniper. Juniper. Hi, what a sweetie. Juniper, she came um, inside. She's literally outside on the balcony, but now she's being, um, she's being bad girl. Bad girl, curious. curious. She looks like she was looking around. Um, She's just scoping things out. It's almost dinner time. Around 5.30, she'd come inside and she'd be like, I'm rich. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so I'm going to leave you to be a rabbit mom. Um, Uh, She still got a couple minutes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so the CEO, he said that COVID is here to stay. Well, they are saying it's endemic for the foreseeable future. That's true. and that the best way to adapt is not to prevent infection, but focus on overall health. Well, that's stupid, number one. Number one is <laughs> you should be doing both of those things. And I hate that kind of shit. Is he giving away food? Exactly. Is he, is he giving away money? Because no. if he's not giving away his CEO money or giving away those greens, he could literally fuck off. 
Yeah, exactly. Everybody always telling people to eat right, but ain't giving nobody no food, no access to food. You want to know what? Where are all the sweet greens if he wants everybody <laughs> to be healthy? Like, there's none. Real. There's there none in South in, LA. Where is I there live. any in Mississippi? Are there yeah, any no. in Louisiana? Are there any in Alabama? Go literally sit under a rock and fuck off. Yes, right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, because for me to go to Sweet Green, I have to go all the way to Santa Monica. And they're yeah, $15 salad. Yeah. And the salad dressing is very fattening. And I think I gained weight eating Sweet Green when I was eating it in New York. So I mean, he's yeah. not putting it nowhere where people have access to don't have like he can just literally fuck off. He's just a hypocrite. So yeah, give away when the last time he gave away some fucking healthy food. I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait, sweet green. That's why everybody need to keep their mouth shut. As soon as I get enough money, you ain't gonna never see me on the internet. Ever. <laughs> be like, where she went? And you'll know I'm rich. I'm gonna keep my fucking mouth shut. Yes. Yeah. Because like you know, people in glass houses, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying it's so crazy. Like I think about like Chrissy Teigen and I was like, all you had to do, girl, was sit in your mansion and cook your food. You wouldn't catch me on Twitter. Brad Pitt is not on Twitter. Beyonce no, is not on Twitter. No, no. What for? To talk to regular people? Regular people is trash. <laughs> I don't fucking talk to nobody that like it's too much access. It's like there's absolutely no reason that I should just be like, Michelle Obama, what you doing? No. It's not yeah. good. It's not healthy. Right. Uh, especially, especially Chrissy, like she loves, she loves social media. She loves to interact. She loves to inter- I think there is something too. It's kind of like a God complex because yeah. like, if you have that fame, your small interaction with those people changes their life and you never think about it again. Mm-hmm. And that could be exhilarating, I'm sure. But like, whoo, I'm not trying to lose my real money over fake Twitter. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that has real consequences. Real, people have lost their real jobs over bullshit tweets, man. That's right. I would not me. Could be me. Yeah. Well, one thing is that people should delete their tweets. Oh, absolutely. But also, I always say take it to the group chat. Uh, if you got some uh, problematic shit, take it to your group chat and <laughs> let your friends be like, girl, you can't say that. Or be like, I agree. But don't be putting your shit on the internet, man. For for why? For why? Right, right. I, I, that was uh, yeah. That was like the whole premise of of hacks was that like she tweeted something, got canceled, yeah. and then ended and up and they couldn't get no job. job. See, couldn't get a job. Fake Twitter, fuck up your real money, baby. That's Not right. Me. <laughs> so okay, so thank you so much. What's uh, my last question? I also wanted to ask you what what you have in your pockets. Like if you ever, if you just have. Like what kind of stuff you would have in your pockets? Oh, I mean, phone keys, wallet back in the day, but now I like to wear a little fanny pack. So they're pretty empty. <laughs> I like a little fanny pack. I days. do too. I, I have a fanny pack for, uh, yeah. yeah. Cause I, I'm a mom. So I have a fanny pack and sometimes I have, and a, and a tote bag too. Yeah. Yeah. I like a little fanny pack. I like to put my phone, my keys, my wallet, my, my little, uh, uh wireless headphones in there. Uh-huh. Uh, so nothing in my pockets these days, but a few years ago it would have been phone keys, wallet all the way across and then do you do you wear like a like kind of like a dad like the fanny pack in front or do you push it to the back or the side i have mine a little bit like kitty corner i like to say right on that hip bone if you nice. know where i put it that's where i usually put my little fanny pack nice okay this is this is awesome thank you so much thank um, you how for can people, of course how can people find you uh um social media platforms tira underscore tira underscore tira t-i-r-a tira 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 
Twitter, um, Instagram, TikTok, but like I've only made like one video and I'm, I'm mostly there to learn, not to teach. Um, <laughs> observe, so, observe the Gen Zers. Observe the, the dances and the social commentary. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm there for. But with your, with your fanny pack on the side. With my fanny pack on the side going, look at these kids. <laughs> look at these kids. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Shantira. Thank you. Thank you for for having me. Yeah, of course. All right. So we'll see you next week. I'm Yummy Coco. Keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Bye.